Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Starship Sofa. Part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring tales to terrify and the all-new Far-Fetched Fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. This is the Starship Sofa. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 442. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Well, UK hopefully now is settling down there. We've had a little little bump in the road there with our politics and our kind of lifestyle changes we're going to be making. So hopefully... We're on an even keel now. I'll tell you what's coming in today's show. First up is, we've got the main fiction, and it is Signs Following by Erika Satifka. Then we have an interview with Mark Mann. Mark is a writer over there at Motherboard, and he found and he dug into this great article, and he wrote this great article, should I say, Hassan and the Beam, about a billionaire who wants to kind of put mobile robots into all our homes. <laughs> Basically, I know it's, I'm, I'm, I'm simplifying the case Yeah, but, you know, a little bit of sellotape, a screen and a Skype. <laughs> no, it's not. Have a listen to Mark's interview. It's a great interview. So that's what's coming in today's show. I do hope you will stick around and enjoy it. Like I say, first up is the main fiction, Signs Following by Erika L. Satafka. Originally published in Idiomancer magazine, Erika L. Satafka fiction has appeared in Clark's World, Shimmer and various other places. Her debut novel, Star Crazy, will be released by Apex Publications in August 2016. She lives in Portland, Oregon with a spouse Rob and three nerdy cats and you can put a have a little pop over there to to a site as well as a link on there. This story is narrated by Robert A. K. Gonyo. Robert A. is a theatre director, actor, sound designer, voiceover artist, musician, residing in Queens. He is the founder and director of the Co-op Theatre East, co-op-theatre-east.org, and has and is the producer of Go See a Show, New York City's independent theatre podcast. And there's a link to Robert's site as well, so do pop over there and say hello, because this is just one fantastic narration. Oh, we're in the hands of professionals here. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present. Signs Following by Erica Satifka 
Narrated by Robert A.K. Gagneau. Silently, they pass around the alien. The meetings are held at the Eridani Colony Community Center. Shoved aside are the ping-pong tables, unused, and the motivational standees. A two-dimensional young girl in a hard hat grins at the workers, tells them they're doing an excellent job. The plastic chairs are set up in a circle, like they were during the Imagining a Better World Through Guided Visualization group discussions, discontinued. The leader for the week, a man with a plastic name tag that informs Dennis his name is Roy, opens the box. Sometimes it stings you. Sometimes it releases a cloud of gas that will choke you, but it's not poison. Most of the time, the alien doesn't do anything. Dennis eagerly rubs his hands together, waiting for his turn. A few months ago, he was bitten by the alien. The alien's sharp teeth dug like pushpins into the webbing of his skin between his thumb and index finger. He carried his wound out in the open until it healed, remembering the thrill of the alien's bite. His wish didn't come true, but the wish doesn't always come along with the bite. Not even usually. Around him, he can feel the combined prayers and requests of the workers bubbling up until the entire meeting almost sweats with concentrated yearning. Dennis keeps his own request at the forefront of his mind, a wish for a new set of bedsheets. It's not much, but neither is it boastful. And he hasn't gotten new bedsheets for seven years now, so it's something he really needs. He feels positive about this one. Dennis doesn't know the name of the woman to his right, the woman currently holding the alien. She holds it at arm's length, giving it a small shake, as she's seen the others do. Might be new, Dennis thinks. The woman brings the alien into eye contact, trying to focus her two hazel eyes on its three tiny black ones. A lump of bile rises in her throat, and she struggles to push it down. Definitely new. The alien is covered with short gray fur. Its mouth opens to a black hatch through which Dennis can see the rippling of the alien's esophagus. The alien is slightly wet at all times. Suddenly, the woman gasps. The alien has stung her with its back claw. A cheer rises up and Dennis joins in, thrusting his hands in the air, giving thanks. The alien doesn't attack him that day. There are rarely two attacks in one day. But it hardly seems to matter. At this moment, they are free. Dennis holds a small blue plastic chip to the air, inspecting it. A small reflective panel on its side mirrors back the face of his supervisor as she trundles behind him, tapping him on the shoulder. Get out of line. I need to talk to you. His supervisor's arms are ropey with muscle. Her face is runnelled with sweat. Yes? The supervisor takes a small blue plastic part from the pocket of her overalls. You let this get through. Look, she says, running her thumbnail down a microscopic crease in the curved side of the tiny radiation filter. No pay for today. Dennis nods, unconcerned. He's thinking only of the community center meeting that will come together in three days.
He has a good feeling about that one. He's already been working on his wish. The bedsheets were a bit much to hope for, now that he really thinks about it. Dennis slides into his workstation next to Ellen, who has been here even longer than he has. Together, they sort components for robot-guided exploration rockets for the next colonization effort. A new rocket is completed every six months and is launched. Dennis has been employed at the factory for the past 23 years as a quality control worker and is thus responsible in some small way for the launching of 46 rockets. They work in silence for an hour until Ellen speaks. Her voice cracks like cement. They denied me again. Ellen has been trying to get away for years now, writing pleas to the administration as well as praying to the alien. I don't think I'm ever going to leave. Well, you just have to keep trying. Ellen's eyes gleam. I know. I'm already starting the next appeal, and I'm always asking for it every week. Well, that's great. Dennis throws another piece of blue plastic into the sorting tray. Gingerly, with the rough tips of her index finger and thumb, Ellen plucks a component from the tray and holds it up to the light. It shines, a tiny gem. Broken, she says, tossing it into the rejection tray behind them. I loved you, Dennis thinks. For every broken component Ellen takes out of commission, Dennis lets two go through. When he thinks of the rockets lifting off at the colony's port, imagines them breaking up in mid-flight, he feels like pumping his fist in the air and yelling for joy. When the noon buzzer rings, Dennis leaves for his lunch break, pulling on his dust mask on the way out. The sky over the colony is a dark orange today. A lighted walkway illuminates the way to the canteen, cutting a path through the dust. The girl who runs the canteen nods as she gives him his boxed lunch. Dennis sits on the benches, wiping off his mask. He always eats alone. Today, though, he feels another body slip next to his. Mind if I sit here? It's the woman from the community center, the woman who was stung. She doesn't wait for an answer. I just transferred. I used to work at the purification center, but they don't need as many people there anymore. She chomps on her sandwich, chewing it slowly with her mouth open. Oh, that's interesting, Dennis says, even though it really isn't. There's been a lot of transfers lately. I don't like it here. The work is boring. The pay isn't so good. And at the purification center, they didn't make us eat lunch outside in the dark. Dennis blinks. Okay. She swallows, a gulping sound. That meeting was weird. Weird, he grunts. She squares her shoulders and cocks her head at him. What is that thing anyway? It's a being. It was here when we got here. The new girl makes a sound that might be giggling or a snort. <laughs> what does this being do? You can ask it for help. Sometimes it answers. This was typical. New transfers always trashed the meetings until they had a chance to see the aliens' power for themselves. Or they didn't and stopped showing up. Either way worked for Dennis. He sips his water. You'll get used to it. 
She crumples the remains of her lunch and stands up. I can't wait to be reassigned. It's only temporary. Maybe I'll go back to Earth. I'm sure you will. This place smells, too. She turns on her heel and strides back down the walkway. Dennis has lost his appetite. He returns his untouched lunch to the canteen girl and waits a few beats before returning to the factory. He doesn't want to take the chance of running into her there. It was wasted on her, Dennis thinks. She didn't even have a wish. Of course, she didn't know she needed one. Someone would have to teach her about the alien and its power. But it won't be Dennis. He has his own problems to worry about. In the factory, Dennis searches for his supervisor. He finds her on the loading dock, reassembling an engine. I need to talk about the new girl. The supervisor's arms are streaked with engine lubricant, like a second set of veins. Why? I don't want to take my lunch with her anymore. Let me switch my schedule around. She rolls her eyes and circles back to the engine. Are you listening? After 30 seconds of waiting for an answer, Dennis shakes his head and leaves. Thanks, he thinks. Nobody remembers who found the alien. It was discovered underneath a buggy three years ago and unresistingly scooped up by a group of workers. Dennis wasn't there, but he knows people who were. Of course, they planned to send it to the science department. No native life existed on Eridani, and life in general across the universe was sparse. The bounty from the discovery of the alien could keep the workers in imported food and happy pills for a year. But then, they learned the alien's secret. Against advice, a man named Daniel brought his son to the colony with him. The child became very sick from expired meat and wasn't expected to survive the next two months. While handling the alien one day, Daniel prayed for his son to hold out until a medic ship could arrive. He not only survived until the doctor arrived, but he didn't need her at all. More tentative wishes followed. An accidental double shipment of grain. A dust storm significantly less harsh than predicted. The colonists had found a receptacle for their desires, one that seemed to listen, almost to care. The price comes in the form of bites and stings, but they never really hurt. Meanwhile, spirits at the colony improved. No longer did the workers stumble through the dusty landscape scowls on their lips. The Eridani government took notice, but most workers didn't care for a government commendation. They had another force to please. The alien doesn't eat. At least, it doesn't eat anything on the colony, which may or may not be its natural habitat. Dennis has researched it, and the alien is not listed in any guides to animal or plant life. He thinks it's an animal. It just looks like one. And outsiders dare to call the meetings weird. It's not weird. It's what we need. Dennis sinks into his seat across from Ellen. Blissful Ellen, nodding her head as she sorts, hums a tune to compete with the machinery's clang. Dennis throws a chip with a broken-off corner into the bin, 
A few moments later, Ellen taps on the table. Are you okay? You put this one in. Huh? Dennis feigns stupidity. This is the first time Ellen's noticed what would be called sabotage by the supervisors if his pattern were discovered. Oh, right. She grins, blushes, and tosses it into the trash bin. I won't tell, but just this once. Dennis's heart lifts. He knows the time when he could have had a relationship with Ellen has passed. But she'll always be here, sitting across from him, with her warm voice and sturdy hands. The alien didn't give him Ellen's love, but it's not going to take her away either. Of this, he is sure. Thanks. You're a good friend. Above, ventilation fans churn their wide arms, gathering dust. The new girl doesn't show up at the next meeting. Neither does Ellen. It's a sparse group, possibly owing to an increase in dust. Dennis spent all this week's salary, minus the unpaid day, on a buggy to the community center. There's one grizzled old man, plus a lead supervisor in the engineering department. The supervisor's eyes dart around. He doesn't want to be seen, and Dennis does him the favor of pretending he's not. Dennis takes the initiative, releases the alien from its cage. He hands it to the supervisor, who inspects it with shifting eyes and shaky fingers. In the first half hour of passing the alien, nobody is bitten. Nobody is attacked. Even the feeling of goodwill one usually gets from handling the alien is absent. Dennis regrets coming. Then he feels a brush of hot air over his cheek. He looks over his shoulder. A cloaked figure, covered in thick brown sand, is stumbling through the door. Damn it, says the old man. Close the door. The figure removes its cloak and face mask. It's the new girl. She skips toward them, bringing a folding chair from the pile near the door. How's he doing today? Can I hold him next? Even though Dennis hasn't been very invested in the alien today, he'll be damned if she's going to hold it. I'm afraid we were about to leave. You're a little late. Maybe next week. A flash of lower lip. Please? Give it to her, says the supervisor. He frowns at Dennis. Dennis hands over the alien, keeping contact with it for as long as possible, even though it is already delivered to the girl's arms. For thirty seconds, they are both gripping the alien. She softly. He for dear life. She called us weird. Finally, after it is clear that he can no longer protect the alien in this very small way without attracting attention, he lets it go. And of course, it bites her. Oh, she says and for a minute it seems like she's experiencing the bite the way it's meant to be experienced, as a religious experience, not a rush of pure, dumb dopamine into the organic machinery of the brain. It tickles. Dennis stands up, knocking his chair behind him. Both of the other workers are swaying in time with the new girl's pathetic little epiphany. He wants to slap them, snap them out of it. Okay, I think it's had enough. Dennis says. 
I think he likes me. Dennis can't determine whether she heard him or not. It doesn't like anyone, you moron. It doesn't feel anything for you or for me or for anyone, but especially not for you. Am I the only one who realizes this? I think, he says, voice wavering with the struggle to control his words, that you should leave now. She doesn't respond. Dennis growls, cat-like, and advances on her. The alien squeaks, the barest noise, more indicative of a rusty hinge than a living thing, and burrows into the girl's collarbone. The nervous supervisor's mouth gapes. It talks. He and the grizzled man go up close to the girl and the alien, in amazement at the first noise they have ever heard from the alien. Dennis feels a draw toward the alien, too, a straight line of energy reaching from it to his heart. As he reaches out his right hand to touch it, the six eyes of the other colonists blaze at him. He drops his arm. Pulling his hood over his face, he walks out into the storm. He walks the seven kilometers back. The next day, as Dennis fumbles for his access card in his satchel, the new girl appears at his side. He jumps a little. She's come right out of nowhere. Went to the infirmary, she says, holding up a bandaged wrist. That little monster really got me good this time. Dennis grunts. I doubt it was that bad. Are you calling me a hypochondriac? I'm saying that it's not a monster and it won't hurt you. Hands on hips. You don't like me. I don't know what gave you that idea, Dennis replies. Can't you leave me alone right now? My shift is about to begin. I'd be happy to talk to you later. His mind rushes for ways to avoid seeing her after the shift. He might ask for overtime. Maybe I should ask it to get me out of this crummy place with all these people that hate me, she says. Yes, that might be a good place to start. Well, see you around. He rushes with exaggerated speed onto the factory floor, making a beeline for his workstation. Surprisingly, Ellen isn't hunched over the component tray, but is instead pacing, a giant crooked grin on her lips. She dashes over to Dennis and gives him a hug. They said yes, Ellen says. She bites her lower lip, though that doesn't stop it from trembling. What? I mean, I'm leaving. Aren't you happy for me? Dennis's head spins. He slides from Ellen's arms into his chair, putting his head into the palm of one hand. Sure, it's great. The letter said I can leave two weeks from now, the next routine flight to Muore. They're promising a job at a hospital there. They have houses, parks, schools. I'm very happy for you, Dennis swallows. Very happy. Ellen bounces in her seat, unable to keep still. I have so much to do. I'll have to get rid of most of my things. Will you help me pack? Sure, Dennis says. Praise the alien. Yes, praise it. At least, he thinks, this wish is going to someone who deserves it. Dennis prayed to the alien so many times. Only little things, always trying to be humble, a day off, 
a short vacation at the planet's polar hotel, a tiny oasis he'd only ever heard of, never seen, for Ellen to love him back. None of my requests were answered, not one. But he can't stay angry at the alien. He can, however, stay angry at the new girl. She curried its favor so quickly and so easily like they were meant for one another. Put it out of your mind, he thinks. You're supposed to go over to Ellen's place and help her tie things up here. Ellen needs you. Ellen's request, at least, had been answered. Dennis considers the possibility that the alien didn't have anything to do with Ellen's imminent departure, but dismisses it. Has to be the alien. Ellen's been a true believer since day one. Not like Dennis. Not anymore. As he swipes out his lock, Dennis catches a glimpse of his face in the mirrored glass on the corridor walls. Tiny lines circle his eyes and mouth, like a series of cracks in a plastic component. On the day before Ellen's departure, there's a special meeting at the community center. It's a packed house, and some of the attendees have to stand. Ellen is given more time with the alien than anyone, in hopes that she'll receive one last bite or sting. Even a faint kick would be a fine send-off. Ellen hugs the alien, tickles its belly, blows on its fur, all the things you're really not supposed to do. There's only the faintest crack in her smile when she hands the alien off, unattacked, unselected. Oh, well, she whispers. I already got my wish anyway. Dennis could throttle the alien. He could rip it to shreds. Instead, the alien plops into his lap. It's his turn. He stares at it his two gray eyes against the alien's three black pebbly ones. He wants to feel something like faith. He looks up at Ellen's round, expansive face. Grinning wide with gapped teeth, she nods at him. Make a wish. I wish Ellen hadn't gotten that letter, Dennis thinks. I wish she weren't leaving. The alien doesn't do anything. Dennis passes the alien to his left and leaves the room. He sits on a bench, fists bald. When the calls of happiness and pain come from the community center, he doesn't have to guess which colonist was chosen. It's her. It will always be her. It's made its choice. Dennis kicks at the dust and squints through the darkness until he can see the lights of the colony's port, where he can see tomorrow's rocket gleaming blue and silver, proud and strong. The rocket that Ellen will take to Mu Array less than twelve hours from now. Dennis can't go back to the center. Instead, he hails a buggy back to the colony dorms. As it speeds away through the gathering dust, he feels a tremor rack its way through his body. Putting his face in his hands, he remembers the feel of the alien's fur between his fingers. The sharp bite of its fangs. Dennis gets up early the next morning to see Ellen off. Above, Eridani is at its highest point for the year, optimal time for a launch. Today, the sky is purple. The beige-red ground glitters, and it's almost pretty. She stands at the mouth of the port, 
two small leather bags in tow. Good luck. You too. He reaches out to brush a strand of hair from her face. He has taken a half day off of work. This is too important to miss. You need to keep trying. I don't know, he says. I don't think so. I'll see you again. I know I will. Keep wishing. It worked for me. A final broad smile. Christ, she actually believes it. The pilot places a palm on Ellen's shoulder and motions for her to get into the rocket. She smiles with closed lips and ascends the stairs. One of the security guards shoos Dennis away from the rocket like he's a stray cat. The rocket climbs a few meters into the air and explodes. Blue shards of rocket rain down on Dennis and the three dozen other panicked onlookers. A siren wails. Dennis gapes, open-mouthed at the sky, until the dust swallows it completely. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There you go. Don't forget, copyright is... Erica, Erica, thank you so much. And just a sublime narration by Robert. Robert, oh, let's, please, don't go away. Don't go away at all. What a great story. So, we're getting into an interview there now. It said, interviewed Mark Mann, who is the writer over there at Motherboard. And Mark wrote this great article. You know, it just caught me eye straight away. Hassan and the Beam, about this billionaire who really, you know, wants, I don't want to kind of spoil the interview and give you too much away, but just, you know, who wants to kind of put these beams, these robots, mobile computers in in all our homes and houses. Mark, then, tell us about this this billionaire who wants to give us all robot bodies. <laughs> Scott Hassan is a, he's a mystery. You know, the funny thing is that he doesn't even have a Wikipedia page, which I find uh, so strange because uh, he 
to, to varying degrees, people say that he wrote the original code for Google search or at least contributed to it. And then he invested in it. And, uh, I'm sure he made a lot of money that way, but he definitely made a lot of money selling, uh, e-groups to, to, uh, Yahoo for 500 million. And then, uh, um, most recently he invested in the magic leap. Uh, so a lot of good money making, uh, uh, techniques, uh, that he has. Um, and, uh, yeah, in 2000, uh, I think it was 2007, um, he decided that he was going to apply his money, kind of one of these moonshot things. He was going to be the guy who funded the first fully autonomous, uh, robot, humanoid robot, uh, he was going to make the first kind of AI, uh, you know, Android. Um, and, uh, and he gave up. <laughs> it's just really funny. He, he, uh, he, he did it for a few years. Uh, he created a place called Willow Garage. And uh, they, they did a couple kind of revolutionary things. They made the robot operating system that's used in all robots. And they created this guy, this robot named PR2. Um, and I think he just got really disappointed in how uh, slow it was and how dumb it was, basically. Like the uh, AI is, he realized that it was going to be enormously expensive and difficult and time-consuming to make uh, uh, intelligent robots. And so he kind of flipped the switch and, and went the other direction, at least in, that's how he describes it. And, and, and he instead wanted to put, instead of trying to create an intelligent robot brain, he just wanted to put human brains in robots, you know, so to speak. Uh, I mean, the, uh, the device that he created is really straightforward. Like it's just, uh, you know, they made it in their workshop when they were building robots. Like they just put us, I think an iPad on, on a, like a hot wheels that you could just log into over the internet and drive around. And then that became this, this device. And, and it's, it is a kind of like Skype that you can drive around, but which is so simple. And maybe, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not like, I'm not a booster. You know what I mean? I, I don't, I don't, I'm not here to like hype the thing, but, like it's pretty easy to see that you know if if you can log into an external body that you can drive around yourself and talk out the front and you know i, I mean it's it's uh, i don't think it's like a big uh um leap of imagination to you know to to think about logging into other kinds of you know um mechanical bodies in a similar way and and, and certainly I think that that's, you know, this guy, this billionaire envisions a future where, where, you know, you could, you could have arms and, and things on, on your device. So Mark, what I actually love about, you know, and, and it was your writing as well. You know what I mean? That's what kind of drew us to this article is like, you know, you see this guy's now hawking around this screen on wheels, you know what I mean? But to me, that just seems like a massive step backwards. You know what I mean? He's kind of putting all this money in and yeah. you, you actually said it yourself. It's, you know, me or you could kind of sell a tape, a, a screen with Skype on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, what's, yeah, yeah. why, why is he kind of just in my, in my opinion, step 
like backwards. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I mean, it's funny. I actually made fun of the device a lot more in the in the earlier drafts of the article, <laughs> and the uh, the editor thought that maybe people wouldn't take it seriously if I just kind of trashed it like that. Um, yeah, I know, I know. I don't. It's hard to say. I mean, I, there's some, something about the kind of physicality of it might be. Uh, I guess the I don't. I, I, maybe I'm. When you say it's a step backwards, I guess like uh, it, it it does seem so simple i don't know there there's like now they've got the, the 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 with the augmented reality you can hologram in and you know then maybe that's a, a better version of this kind of t- you know telepresence uh uh concept uh but uh, i i mean i think that like what i like about his thing i just like that he's you know willing to kind of say how dumb most of the artificial intelligence kind of breakthroughs sound you know like because they're always never that impressive you know like there it's always all the all the ai stuff that you hear about it's really like uh the robot learned how to make coffee off the internet but then you watch the video and it's total shit and i i don't know you know like it's it's we, we keep hearing that like you know robots are gonna be have comparable brains or the AI is going to, you know, match us in 20 years or something like that. But, uh, I like at least that he was just like, no, this is a crazy, that, that project isn't going to happen anytime soon. So I was almost like, this was like his much more efficient way, you know? And I, I also, like he was kind of like anti automation too, which I or not anti automation, but he was like, Automation is going to take all of our jobs, you know, and however long. And so I think what he was trying to do was, uh, you know, create this enabling or empowering thing where, you know, people could, uh, um, you know, occupy these, these, these robot bodies and, and, uh, and, and be able to, you know, it would make create more job opportunity, according to him. Although it's really like with the moments that we shared together were really quite awkward, <laughs> you know, like like uh, like just like beaming into his like going to like going to check out the view, uh, you know. Like, I don't know, I can't remember if that was in the article or not, but we were in. I we beamed down to Kansas City first, you know, and and it was like let's go up to the twenty third floor and like and, and look out the window and check out the view and and. Uh, you know, I don't know. It was just, it was so weird to drive this computer screen up to a window and then like along with two other people on computer screens and I'll just kind of arrange ourselves looking out at downtown Kansas city and just kind of sit there silently together, you know, like <laughs> trying to, trying to appreciate this moment that, you know, was like basically like looking at Google map or something, you know, like, yeah. Tell, tell us about them. What, why is he like, this guy, Scott Hansen, why is he media shy? Do you think he's went out of his way to take himself off Wikipedia to, to just, you know, get away from the, the media? I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you know, the part of the trick here was that I, I, I got this interview uh, while I was working on a story for a business magazine, you know, not like the, a totally different character than vice. Uh, and I was writing about robots 
uh, in in uh, one of the tech tech clusters in Canada, and um, and so yeah, I don't know if that was kind of I contacted his PR people after like I'm gonna I want to use this interview for for Vice is that okay you know and uh, they never responded so anyway but uh, we I I don't know yeah he, he he's he seems uh, a bit awkward or you know like he's he's a he's a really quirky person um so maybe maybe and i don't know the media it's not i'm never that surprised when people are media shy because i think that a lot of times people the media does kind of fuck people over or you know journalists can mischaracterize and misrepresent you know i i mean i tried hard not to do that but uh um maybe he's just he's the kind of person who just is just kind of impatient with bullshit kind of, you know, like, so he, everything, everything he said was kind of phrased in this way of like, um, you know, like the world is really regressive and, and behind the times and, and, and he's, uh, you know, the governments don't work and, you know, you know, it was really like this, this kind of, kind of true Silicon Valley mentality. Like, like we're gonna, um, you know, we, we need to, you know, uh, think disruptively ahead of everyone else and, and they need to catch up kind of thing. So, so maybe, maybe he was also very dismissive of how, um, me, the media writes about robots and, and even the way I'm talking about it would be infuriating because technically, uh, you know, um, in his definition, a dishwasher is a robot. And so it's kind of stupid to, talk about robots like they're special or something so has he got then he's because we're calling it the beam is that right has he got this ready to roll off the production line yeah yeah and that's the thing the beam's actually been around for a little while and so uh um i think that uh people people are beaming around i mean i think is they're, they're trying to create this uh they're trying to now make the beam uh, as i wrote in the article um they're trying to make it a, a necessary device for accessibility. And uh, so they're trying to make like kind of force the government to put the beam in government buildings. Um, so, so quadriplegics can, can uh, use government services and then the, uh, that they wouldn't otherwise be able to. And then the other thing is they're trying to, you know, put the beam all over the world and in, in Russia and I don't know, Indonesia, whatever. So you can go um, tr- drive down the streets uh, in these things. You, you know, Mark, you made a great point there when we kind of first started off, and you said, like, lungs come virtual. And it just, and when people, you know, because I've got one of those little headsets that I got with me phone free, you know, the Samsung Gear one. Yeah. And as soon as yeah. you put that on, you think, now, wow, now this technology really does work and it really does yeah. look good. Totally. You know, now I can totally get the virtual side of it, but like I say, the beam yeah. just think, you know, I just think, what a step backwards, you know what I mean? Especially totally. for, like, you know, you're seeing the kind of the army and, you know, people that's kind of disabled, putting that headset on, you're totally in a different world. I, You know what? I 100% agree. I, I was working on a, a, a virtual reality story a, a while back, and uh, it was actually uh, related to porn, VR porn, and... Uh, and yeah, I, I mean, I tried out the technology about like back in January and, and, uh, it was very, very comp- compelling, like extremely convincing that this was going to be, uh, 
really successful technology and really transformative and like really like that was that was a good one for sure like un- undeniably uh it worked and uh um yeah the beam is <laughs> it is less convincing i don't know if there's anything again like yeah i don't know if there's any anything to be said for just like having a body like that was so much about like does this kind of metallic pole and two wheels and a and a computer monitor to like constitute a body you know what i mean like we talked about i wrote about it kind of in that way because that's how he talks about it does it confer physical presence like does it let you be a you know somewhere else uh, uh but i mean like in terms of the actual experience of the technology you know like uh like skype we're on skype right now it's not a thrill ride <laughs> you know and like if we could uh um if we could meet in a VR space you know that would be way way better you know so i don't know it's just the, the idea as well you know like it, it bumping into a coffee table do you know what i mean constantly kind of, you know you're trying to get around the room and stuff but you, you actually mentioned yeah. as well though edward snowden used one so it yeah. you know it's got its kind of it's you know it's points i suppose you know for getting information like that out yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it really is like, uh, yeah, I mean, with the thing with VR or AR is that you need to um, wear these, everybody kind of needs the same technology to, to participate. Uh, and uh, with the Beam, at least, you know, you can go to a conference center or a TED Talk and then drive off the stage afterwards like Edward Snowden did um, and uh, and just kind of mill around like everybody else does, you know, so, and then people can, can walk up to you and say hi, like that, that like that is a, a different proposition, you know, than uh, um, everyone putting on VR goggles and, and, uh, and getting into one of these. I haven't, I've never tried, I've never been one of those kind of, virtual community spaces but i i understand you can do that so you, you know when mark when you were saying you'd use the beam were you just sitting at your computer at home and that's all the kind of the experience you had of it it's just basically using your mouse to drive it yeah yeah totally <laughs> <laughs> just the, no it wasn't even the mouse it was the up and down and left oh, and right man. arrows on the and a and the shift button to drive a bit faster yeah <laughs> <laughs> What was his, what's his PR2 then, you know, the, the autonomous humanoid robot? Is that the one where he gave up on? Yeah, that's the one he gave up on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the PR2, like, uh, initially, they, they, I think the first time it made the news was when they were trying to fold towels. Uh, it would have been back in, like, 2009. They were trying to make a housekeeping robot. Hassan says that housekeeping is the last job that will ever be automated because it's the hardest one to do, but it's the one that most roboticists try to try to figure out first. Anyway, yeah, the PR2, yeah, it, it's like whenever you hear a story about robots, usually it's the PR2 because they, um, it's like the research platform that all the, like many universities use. Like, I don't know, maybe not in Japan because they're super they're really good at robots in Japan, but, uh, um, certainly North American. And I, I think European researchers would often be, be doing whatever they're doing uh, on a PR too. 
Where where do you think then the beam could other places could it you know could it be used for say travel you know sticking in places like that so you can get a, a sense of the world out there if you just you know you, you don't travel much. Yeah, I mean, I I don't see why not. You know, like I don't know. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it's uh... <laughs> you're not convinced, Mark. Eh? You know what I mean? <laughs> that's what I love about it because that's why, like, see, you're writing on it, and I would love to have read. The, the uncensored oh, yeah. version. Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> it does, it just seems like, you know, he got so much money and he's went, went in the right direction and then he's just backed off and just went with like a sellotape screen on some wheels and, and there we go. And then all of a sudden the longs come virtual. That's just outshining everything at the minute. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the th- I think that uh, in terms of... Uh, you know, being together, uh, you know, in terms of telepresence or whatever, in terms of like people, you know, taking the, you know, communication at a distance to the next level, fast smartphones or whatever. Um, virtual reality is, 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 uh, is a lot better for that. Um, obviously. Uh, but, I do like I'm both skeptical of it because it really is just Skype on wheels. Um but at the same time I I I am attracted to the simplicity of it and and uh, and I and I do think that like I I I do think there's something I like it does seem like we should be able to log into these um into like a, a a a computer that that can actually do things in the world, you know. Like I do, I do. Like I guess I just I, it's sort of an elegant sort of idea to me, or maybe not quite elegant, but you know, closing the loop, you know, so you can go on the internet and then go off the internet, you know, somewhere else in, in Spain, and then you know, and then like I, it, it it's not like it makes sense, you know. Like there's something there's something like I can see that it has some utility uh, because you're back into um, meat space, you know, whereas virtual is just like taking, it's like web 3.0 or something, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, it's taking cyberspace and, and blowing it open and making it fucking incredible, you know, but this is, this is, it looks, you know, the reason it looks dumb is because computers are advancing you know, by Moore's law, you know, exponentially mechanical technology is not. So like, uh, uh, our, our mechanical technology is like not dramatically better than it was in the sixties. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's why it is because it, it is in, in, in meat space that it, it doesn't look that cool because essentially nothing in, in, in meat space looks that cool. You know, like it's, it's all still just like gears and motors and, 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 uh, you know, it, it, we have, we haven't seen anything remotely comparable in terms of like technological advancement in, 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 um, in, in mechanical engineering as we, like, as we have seen in, in computing. Right. So, What's it been if if it is out there now in in the kind of, in the world? What's the the reaction been to the the beam? Has it been 
a little bit muted or is everyone yeah. paying attention? It has it all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not. No, no. This isn't. This isn't like this hasn't had a, like a revolutionary or disruptive uh, uh, impact uh, uh, yet. I think he would have to like. He really. Yeah. I mean, either. I think they'll what they'll do. I think I think he's probably. I think I suspect the company's profitable. I should know that. I don't. Uh, I but I, I suspect that they definitely haven't gone public. So so, but I, I suspect that they're they make money um, because I think that the what what I read was that the outsourcing is and and working from home and this whole concept is 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 becoming less popular now. So they they. Now, companies, I don't work for a big company or so I don't really know the company culture that well, but apparently they're trying to kind of move back towards people coming into the office. And and it seems like the proposition they're making is that you can sort of be in the office by, by being on a beam um, uh, you know, so I, 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 that, that, that's the, that's the value proposition that they're, they're giving. And then, and then people rent them out for conferences too. Um, and so, uh, I, I, but I think they'll really have to, to either, they'll probably roll out their tourism thing, you know, and, and then, and then, and then we'll all kind of have a chance to, to, to go, go around the world with it. And, and then, and then that'll be like a, it'll get a new round of, media attention and that'll be people's chance to kind of really say whether or not they like the beam because right now you know you or i like we have no way to really use a beam you know what i mean like it's too we'd have to attend a conference that offers it or something you know what i mean like it's just not really available it's only only it's really a a commercial uh proposition not a not a consumer proposition right now Mark, it's been lovely to talk to you, honestly. I know we kind of, you know, in some ways taking like a little bit of mick out of it, you know what I mean? But it oh, is, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, thank you so much for coming on and, and just talking about it, you know what I mean? Kind of, like I say, it's science fiction show here, so we're all kind of in favour of it. Just sometimes it's, it seems like little steps backwards as well. Oh, totally. Totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. Mark, it's been a, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Tony. There you go, Mark. <laughs> Fantastic. Mark, thank you so much. Well, I loved, loved talking to you. Thank you. So that is today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Now, some might, you never know, some might get this twice this show because we're doing something with the feeds in the, in the background and it might just come out twice. So just giving you a little heads up as well about that. But I hope you enjoyed it. You know, do stick around. We have got some sweet, sweet stories coming in the, in the next month or so. Oh, you'll, you'll enjoy that. Stick around for that. So, that is today's show. I hope you've enjoyed it. Do think about, you know, helping out in, you know, the, the Patreon, the, the donation model. That would be fantastic. You know, our goals there. It would certainly help us. Until next week, just like to say, good night from me. Will our heroes survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely compromising their honor and artistic judgment? Tune in next week for the next exciting installment of Stories of Evacuation Procedure Machine. Shuttle set for launch. Airlock will be opened in 3, 2, 1.
This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.